Welcome back to Hash It Out. It's a new year, new us, and new topics. We're your co-hosts, Judith Adebill and Elizabeth Duff. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and yes, that's new, but it's not a major change. I'm just going by my middle name everywhere now, rather than just with friends and family. Also, we have a new friend, too. Their name is Hashi. So you might have seen them on our social media already. They are our newest travel companion. So Hashi will pop up in random places this semester, and soon you'll even be able to get your own Hashi. All you'll have to do is stop by our table in the Campus Center. We'll let you know what date you can find us soon. Anyway, today we are going to talk about the American prison system. So do you want to start, Judith? Absolutely. So quickly for the record, I'm a prison abolitionist. So I totally can understand where Elizabeth is coming from. But, but, (laughs) there's always a but. As a criminal justice major, I feel like I have to be a prison reformist. And not just because I have to, but um, with my education and my opinions that I've formed over the last three years at IUPUI, I am a prison reformist. Um, A reformist is someone who wants changes and alternatives to our current prison system. And technically, I want changes and alternatives too, but I go a little further than Judith and argue for the complete removal of the prison from our American justice system. Not to be mean, but she's wrong. (laughs) Actually, it's her. So today we're going to have a dialogue between the two of us about the issue of prisons. And just a note, not only do we hope this will encourage you to learn more about prisons, but also serve as a model of like participatory effective dialogue. Totally. So to start, I thought I could ask you some questions about prison abolition. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get started. Okay, so Elizabeth, what is prison abolition? (laughs) Sounds like the answer to a Jeopardy question. No, uh, prison abolition is essentially advocacy for the removal of prisons entirely from society. So I know it does sound wild, Mm -hmm. but hear me out. So Angela Davis is my personal hero. I had even put a poster of her above my desk in my office. Not in this office, unfortunately. It's Aww. next door. I can show you at the end of the episode recording. That works. Uh, so she was a participant in the Black Panther movement and is actually a prolific author as well. Yeah, have you seen that afro of hers in the 70s? God, I it love was it. to die for. That's the picture that we have in the office. And I have a scarf of her with her fist up at a rally with her afro. Yeah. She's legit my hero. She was a revolutionary hero. She is. Well, I didn't say it like she was dead. I just said it like a lot of people have forgotten about her. Well, she is a revolutionary hero to me, in my heart. But her book, Are Prisons Obsolete, really is what changed my perspective. So when I read the book, this quote in particular stood out to me. She said, Prison relieves us of the responsibility of seriously engaging with the problems of our society, especially those produced by racism and increasingly global capitalism. But what exactly are we supposed to do with our most hardened criminals, for example? So the really important thing about prison abolition is that it doesn't start tomorrow by tearing down all of the prisons and letting the criminals roam free. I think a big part of prison abolition is that we kind of need to start over from society, and that's why it's more of an ideology than a praxis. Right. When prison abolition occurs, it would occur along with the deconstruction of the prison industrial complex, which is where we get private prisons. Mm -hmm. It would involve the removal of the police state, which I do believe America has a significant problem with corrupt policing. And it would also involve community policing efforts. Okay. So prison abolition isn't, he just murdered somebody, let him go free. Mm-hmm. Prison abolition is about how do we actually enact justice? How do we make it restorative and rehabilitative, not punitive? Yeah. Add treatment is what you yes. say. I want treatment to be a big part of it. I know that it's not like somebody who goes out and murders somebody just needs some therapy and they're going to be better. 
But by and large, our prisoners aren't made up of mob bosses. Mm -hmm. It's drug offenders. Low level, especially. It's people who were unfairly targeted by police as well. It's people who didn't have the money to pay their fines and got thrown into jail. We effectively have debtors' prisons in a lot of ways. So I don't think that there's anything redeemable about the American prison system. There are some countries that have decent prison options, like in, so some countries do have good alternatives to what we have here in America as a prison system. For example, Norway had a mass shooting where Andres Breivik, I'm really poor with pronouncing his name. I mean, it's a Nordic name. We're all going to butcher it. Right. Well, (laughs) he actually shot up a camp of labor youth. So the labor political party had a summer camp for youth. He actually killed a large number of children. They were teenagers and younger. They didn't kill him. They didn't execute him and call it state-sanctioned justice. They put him into a prison, and it's a prison that looks better than my house. (laughs) But the thing is, he can't harm anybody. He is put away from society, and society is safe from him. But I remember in the aftermath of the shooting, a lot of people were saying, Ha ha, bet you wish you had the death penalty now. They were like, hell no, we don't. Why would we want the death penalty now? And show him that he can change all of our values. Right. Prison systems like that that aren't punitive, but are safety measures or allow people to engage with the problems that society has created, I think that's what we need. You know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like an eye for an eye. It's like as a civilized society, we want to go back to where, like, to counter a death, we must take a death. Exactly. We, like, what's the word? We kind of... Overkill? I mean, yes, but at the other end of it, like, we denounce everything else that has to do with the past, but then yeah. the one thing we are always holding on to for dear life in this country is a life for a life kind of thing. Yeah, and it um, bothers me because it's so much tied into militarization of our country. Yeah. So every young boy is told, join the military. Everybody has to sign up for recruiting from the uh, service unless you opt out. It's not opt in to get recruited, it's opt out. So when you sign up for voting registration, you have to actually check a different box that says, okay. don't send me info about it. Right. And that's in high school. So there's the militarization there. There's our gun fetish culture. There's all of these things that lead to this idea that killing is morally justifiable in certain ways. Yeah. And we all know that killing is not justified. So killing somebody for killing somebody just feels wrong to me. And I think that the death penalty is so integral to our system in the ways of using it to get people to plead down by saying, well, if you take this charge, we could get the death penalty against you. Like it's so integral and tied up into our culture that government sanctioned killing is fair. It's ironic though, because, or maybe I'm using the word irony wrong, but (laughs) most people do. There is a time in our history where like everyone was against the death penalty. Exactly. So it's like, I don't think it's really like that embedded in our culture. It's just, we have, I mean, it kind of is, but it's, we've kind of, con, like, created this sense of nostalgia, I, and how, like, something, yeah. like, they did this when, and everything was better, but, like, even in my intro to criminal justice class, Professor Garcia always says that when we had mass killings of criminals, crime was never low. Exactly. And never, it, like, our reporting yeah. of crimes has gotten better, 
But also our news media has started to thrive on fear. Yeah. So what they do is publicize every single random death. If it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. I love that phrase because it's true. But personally, I think if we had to take a serious look at the death penalty and realize that it's unjust, it would lead us to have a lot of questions about the military. And I think that's an area that Americans won't touch. Yeah. So it seems we have similar ideas, but the prison abolitionist is a little bit extra. (laughs) Okay, maybe a little. But I think the reformists don't take it far enough. Maybe you're too basic. No, seriously, though, your work on the Tunnel of Oppression Room about mass incarceration included a lot of statistics. I recorded a lot of it with you, and the part that hit me the hardest was the proportion of prisoners in America. Yeah, so for everyone who doesn't know, America has roughly 4 to 5% of the yeah. world's population, but um, incarcerates 22 to 25% of the world's incarcerated population yeah yeah so basically even though we're a very small percentage of the world we incarcerate the majority well not the majority yet we incarcerate a quarter of all incarcerated we're about top three yes and incarceration and i believe we're we're higher than either russia or china though which is kind of ironic. Again, I might be using this wrong. That some two, two of the world's leading countries on probably torture and not doing things that we as Americans agree on, we are leading with yes. them on incarceration. Although, to be fair, Russia and China probably have a very low reporting of how many people are actually in their prisons based on political prisoners and government kidnappings. Yeah, but that doesn't make it any better. We're still up there with them. Exactly. I'm saying their numbers are probably even higher. <laughs> but ours are probably higher, too, when you consider things like Guantanamo. Yeah, but those so, numbers have, have reduced significantly in the last eight to nine years. Thank God. But speaking of Guantanamo, what do we do about the fact that 8.4% of prisoners are quite literally owned, and I mean owned, by private prisons? See, as a um, prison reformist, I am fully against private prisons, especially since, um, basically when they take up shop in these states, they're like, Hey, Indiana, you want me to be in your state? That's cool. But if my, if the population of my prison goes down below 90, 90%, then you have to pay, um, a hundred percent of each bed. That's not full. Exactly. So then the state is kind of, incentivized, kind of threatened in a way, to maintain these beds. So what does that do? It keeps people in prison. And and our state legislatures don't want to reform um, crime and crime laws. Because because, they need the people to stay in the prison. Because they need that money. They need that revenue. They can't pay that to the prison. And it's a a continuum of things. Yes. People don't want to reduce the, um, what's the word? The sentences yes. for certain crimes because they know that they would have to pay private prisons. But by not reducing these crimes, sometimes we're overpopulating our prisons, not having enough room, so then we need to build another prison. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's cycle. a horrible cycle yeah. that just keeps going. And, see, don't you think abolition is the answer to that? I don't see how, in a system that exists with the prison industrial complex we have today, which, okay... I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second. You've seen 13th. It's a good documentary. It is. If you haven't. Yes. So Ava DuVernay is a director who put out a movie called 13th, as in the 13th Amendment. Oh, the music is also really good. Oh, so good. It's so good. Common, like, ugh. But, um, yeah, so 
in the movie, she talks about, well, a lot of people talk about, including Angela Davis. I know. They talk at length <laughs> about how the 13th Amendment specifically says slavery is illegal except for prisoners. Yeah. That's, that's such a problem. The yeah. idea that we can make these people work for such little money. That's why private prisons want them. So yeah. many things are made by prisoners. It's not your license plate anymore. And if we're they're staffing looking, factories and stuff. And if we're looking at the past when the stuff even first, you know, germinated. Why am I using flower language? I know. But germinated, like a lot of this country was built on the backs of quote unquote prisoners. Exactly. Because anything, code word for black people. Yeah, or Asians. Yeah. Um, or Native Americans. Yeah. Like the railroads. Exactly. I mean that's the biggest one I can think of. But a lot but of the, the railroads are the biggest. Think yeah. about our infrastructure. Yeah. And like a lot of the crimes that they were picked up on or you know, incarcerated for were things that didn't make any sense. Or and ridiculous. weren't even illegal for white people in some cases. I'm just saying vagrancy. The black codes. Like vagrancy being late for work too often like because that was like stealing from the company and the worst part is it wasn't just men and women it was children yes. as well it was just it was a new form of state sanctioned slavery that's exactly. literally what the whole documentary and is isn't about it, it's so good isn't it today though well not state sanctioned slavery is good i'm just retract that yes but the documentary is talking about state sanctioned yes. slavery is good but isn't state-sanctioned slavery what prisons are today? Private prisons, yes. Not public prisons. You don't believe they are. I have not done enough research on what happens in public prisons to Pretty have... Pretty much the same thing. Then... They still have to work for 14 cents an hour. True. They still live, sleep, eat under the control of the prison warden. Mm -hmm. They have to follow the same routines. Really, private prisons are a major issue because why are people profiting off of crime? They also do have way worse conditions in private prisons. They do, and I will give you that. They have less oversight because they're not a governmental facility. Yeah. But if they're both forcing people to work for pennies on the hour, in conditions that are terrible, in places they don't want to be, isn't that considered state-sanctioned slavery? Hmm. Food for thought. Food for thought, but I'm for argument's sake, I'm going to say no. Okay. Because, yes, as a reformist, I see the issues that come with the prison system. I'm not saying that they're... they're of course. Like, the prison system is, like, this holy grail of things. Yeah. As if, like, I'm, like, a constitutionalist who's like, oh, my God. Oh, God, don't words. start. Um, <laughs> the words. <laughs> the words. But it's, um, in a perfect world, like, for if, in a perfect world of being an abolitionist would could work. In a yeah. perfect world, I believe prisons have a place and prisons can do something to change um, and rehabilitate people. I just believe that we have been doing it wrong for so many years. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, they might be getting paid pennies on the dollar, but it could also be an argument to that could also be like, well, if we're paying them the same amount of wage as someone who's outside of prison, um, no one is going to want to pay, like, to bring these jobs into prison so that they can, you know, obtain, um, what's the word, um, experience. Yeah. Um, and it would also be kind of like, they would be profiting over their punishment if they were getting dollars on the dollar for jobs that they're doing in the prison. I'm not saying... Then why are they doing jobs? 
why are they working if they can't make money? And they're not profiting off their crimes. They're profiting off their jobs. True, but then what's to stop people from saying, oh, I can't find a job. Let me just go to jail. And I can Homeless make... people do that they for do do that food. That is sad. Three hots and a cot. Also, like, people who were kicked out of the state institutions yeah. back people, in the People, I mean, I'm sure they still do it. When they leave the emergency hospital ward for their suicidality... I is mean, that a word? Suicidality? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a symptom of being suicidal. Okay. But, like, yeah. when okay. we have the money for prisons but not for mental health care, that's when I think it's irredeemable. I know you think we should rid our society of prisons and redefine how our society sees crime. I halfway agree with you. Okay. Um, as a reformist. I want to redefine what we criminalize but still have a form of incarceration, as I so was kind of saying example. earlier. So give me an example. Um... So earlier you're kind of saying like it's the, our prison system is kind of irredeemable if we have money for that versus mental health. Yeah. So something that I have always kind of had an issue with is the fact that we're always incarcerating drug addicts or people with some form of substance abuse. Yes, absolutely. We've recently found out that that is a mental illness. Yes, absolutely. So I believe we should be putting them into some sort of rehabs. 18, I agree. At least 18 months of forced rehabilitation. The studies have shown that even if someone does not want to go through rehabilitation, if they are put into the really hard programs yeah. that they're forced to go to and they're supervised, more likely than not, they will come out rehabilitated. And though they will always be a recovering addict, there's a less chance of them going back to their choice of poison yeah. versus sending them to prison or jail. So... Out of curiosity, this is one of the more difficult issues in this context. Mm -hmm. How do how do mental institutions, rehabilitation clinics, how do those fit into incarceration? Because technically, aren't we incarcerating people there? That's where I've always gotten tripped up as an abolitionist. Are because about, I think... Sorry. Well, for example, uh, involuntary holds. Okay. Somebody is suicidal, I take them to the hospital... They threaten to kill themselves, and the hospital says, you're a danger to yourself, we're locking you in the uh, watch ward so that we can make sure you don't harm yourself. Mm -hmm. Or even, I take them and they say, I'm going to kill Elizabeth for taking me. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, you're a danger to others, we're putting you in the mental health ward. That's technically incarceration, but I've never been able to get behind the abolition of those programs. Well, because that's um, that's a whole other focus of exactly. our society. Because it's like... Um, if we had kinder and better treatment, maybe that wouldn't be necessary. I don't know. I'm kind of following a new train of thought here. So kind yeah. of just throwing out ideas because as you were talking about forced rehabilitation, I was like, should we really be forcing people or should people just kind of do what works for them? If they're drug addicts who aren't harming people, should they be allowed to do drugs? And then I don't know. It's a societal thing though. Yeah. Because like our society is set up to, well, at least nowadays to be protecting us. True. And we expect them to protect us. Yeah, the I, same way if I am blackout drunk and crash my car, it's still a crime. Yeah. Because in that situation, society has a burden to protect people from me. Exactly. And that's that's why when we we talk about, like, forcing the incarceration of, like, drug deal Drug dealers. No, not drug dealers. <laughs> drug addicts or, yeah. like, people who have substance abuses, it can kind of be a separate issue. I think so, just, too. Um, incarcerating someone who is a murderer or someone who's yeah. a child molester. Of those are two examples. Yeah, absolutely. 
If our understanding of incarceration is punishment, then yeah, murderers should be confined to a prison. But I kind of want to radically revisit our understanding of crime. Mm -hmm. So there's a saying that violence can't ever be stopped. And yeah, that's right. But do we want to punish criminals or do we want to prevent the violence? Like, prisoners are essentially learning how to reoffend when they leave and learning tips and tricks to not get caught. Mm -hmm. But if we had something like true restorative justice that... Okay, so not to stop you, (laughs) but stopping you... What do you define as restorative justice for those who don't know? So, restorative justice is an alternative to punitive sentencing for criminals. Mm -hmm. Restorative justice involves rehabilitation and then paying back for the crime. So, this could be literally financial, like, if I were to steal from you. I would need to go through some sort of treatment that will help me either get food, if that's what I'm stealing, or get more money, if it's because I'm broke. And then maybe I'd pay you back in literal money. Mm-hmm. But and it also, go ahead. Um, not to stop you, but as a criminal justice major, we've actually talked about some of this stuff in some yeah. of my classes. And something that I, cause I'm for restorative justice. For sure. Um, one of the things I would totally love to see enacted more if we were to f- reform the current yeah. system is that a lot of pe- places that did have restorative justice programs on the book, yeah. they it was expensive. They lost That's their funding. Fair. A lot of because a lot of people are always saying we need to be tough on crime. We shouldn't be doing things that are considered soft. Exactly. And that's and exactly that. That's uh, where some of our issues stem from. It's that not the fact mindset. that no one, yeah. no one wants to help these people. Is that if you want to help, you can't get reelected. Right. If you want to help, no one wants. It's your, so like, frustrating. Wants you to do anything about it. Because yeah, violence can't be stopped. But do you even want to stop it? Is that the issue here? Or do you just want to continue punishing people? We're addicted to crime Exactly. And we are. But beyond the ideas of literal repayment, it also incorporates things like community service, mm-hmm. education even, or just giving back in some way. So I am working with the Flanner House this semester on my capstone. We're doing a big group that's going and working with the Flanner House. Okay. And we went and we spoke to Brandon Crosby, the executive director of the Flanner House, and he is a brilliant man. One of the coolest things that he talked about was this program called Feed. So for those who don't know, the Flanner House is on the near northeast side of Indianapolis, and it's a community support organization. So for the neighborhood around its location, which is predominantly black, Mm -hmm. they can go and what Brandon always says is, we don't say no, we find a way to say yes. Okay. So this program called Feed is so cool. It's it stands for Farming, Education, Employment, and Distribution. Okay, sounds good so far. Exactly. Well, one of the most really messed up things is the school-to-prison pipeline. Yeah. Where, we'll probably talk about this in detail, because I know it's one of your pet topics. Mm-hmm. But basically, we're feeding young people of color into the prison system by criminalizing their behavior that white folks do, too, that they're just not punished for. Yeah. So, do you know the reasons documented that white men and black men, not even men, white boys and black boys, do you know why they're expelled from school? Do you want to take a guess? Truancy? No. So the top three reasons for white boys. Oh, wait. Can I guess one more time? Yes. Fighting. Kind of. Okay. It, who did you guess that for, though? White or black boys? White boys. Yes, kind of. Okay. So white boys, basically three top reasons. Okay. Weapons, violence, knives. Those are the cited reasons. So lots of overlap, right? 
Aren't knives categorized as weapons? Yes, but basically it's just a difference in reporting. Did the school specify the weapon or not? That's weird. But those are the top three reasons for white boys. Do you want to take a guess at what the top two reasons for black boys are? Being considered aggressive? (laughs) Kind of. Okay, are people expelled or they leave school? (laughs) Expelled. Expelled, okay. On Mm. paper, these are the top two reasons. Mm. I I really can't think of it. Okay. Maybe Number fighting, one, but that's about it. No. Number one, disobedience. Okay. They didn't do what I told them to do. Okay? Okay. You want to know what number two is? Just just hit me over with the brick and tell me. Insubordination. What they is, didn't do what I told them to do. Is this the military? What you mean, insubordination? Right? How is insubordination a thing between a teenager and an adult? This is... Not to go off to my criminal justice <laughs> tangent, but that's basically, like, status offenses. Yeah. So, like, if you're... For anyone who doesn't know what a status offense is, a status offense is a crime that you is only considered a crime because you're under the age of 18. Exactly. So, examples of what are considered status offenses are if you argue with your parents and the police are called, you can yeah. be arrested. Um, having sex. Yeah. You can get arrested. Running away. Well, depending on the age for the sex True. component. But um, anyway. But just like under the age of 18, there's possibilities. Yeah. Running away. Yes. Status offense. Um, what about consumption? That's under yeah. 21 drinking. If you're under, well, this is where it kind of gets tricky. Okay. So if you drink alcohol under the age of 18, that is considered a status offense. Okay. But if what you, if you're 19 to 20? If you're, yeah. 20 in 364 yeah. days. If you're 19, nine, yeah. If you're 19 or 20. Actually, if you're 18, if, yes. yeah, if you're 18 to 20. 20 and 364 days old, that is a class C misdemeanor, if I'm okay. correct. So okay. it goes from, hey, I'm 17 and 364 years, 40 years, four <laughs> days old, I'm going to drink this vodka and shot up with this rum cake and Ugh. all these crazy things. You know too much about this. I really don't, but it's fine. <laughs> I know, that's why it's funny to say so. <laughs> um, and, you're, and if you get caught by the police, especially if you're in Johnson County, you'll be safe. Don't even start because with me. You're under the age of 18. Why are you personally <laughs> attacking me like this when my sister lives in Johnson? I'm anyway. Sorry. No, but you're true. right. But it's <laughs> so white. You know why? Because the next city over is Whitestown. All I'm saying There's is, Whiteland. Which one of those towns do they say don't drive through in the middle of the night? Or they at least used to? If you're not white? Fucking all of them. Mm-hmm. Johnson County. I told myself I do Don't not. go to Johnson County, y'all. Let's and, put it that way. Unless you really got to drive to Bloomington. And you Even then, take 37 and just shoot your way past See, it. See, me and my mom were driving to John, uh, going to Bloomington one time. Yeah. She had to pick up a check. Cause, oh, no. Yeah, because, So you wound up in Johnson. Yeah, and they pulled her over, and they said she was speeding. There was no sign saying yeah. that she was speeding, first of all. And second of all, this cop had to give her, like, took her license and saw, oh, she has no record. Yeah. And we just kept on moseying. That's what our police do right now. That's the life that so many people live. It's like... When people are fallible and that's okay, but putting police in charge of this type of thing when they are fallible people raised in a racist system, how how effective are they going to be? So going all (laughs) the way way back back. (laughs) to the feed program. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I asked you about expulsion reasons Mm -hmm. is because what feed does that is just so beautiful and wonderful to me. Brandon takes kids who have been, and he won't say expelled or dropped out. They were forced out. And he's right. These kids are being forced out of school and he doesn't try to put them back in school because those places, as he puts it, are sites of trauma for them Okay. because adults harmed them there. And that's true 
So instead what he does, he puts them on their urban garden. And he teaches them how to farm. Really, they wind up teaching themselves. Okay. But they usually learn how to farm, then get some sort of equivalency, usually a high school equivalency diploma. Then they get a job, which he also says is the ABC method, which is any job, to a better job, to a career. All right. And then the D standing for distribution is how they learn more about how the crops are sold. They actually negotiate the contracts. Oh, that's cool. So there are restaurants near Flanner House that only serve their produce. It's such a cool program. I could talk about it for hours. (laughs) But coolest thing, they're opening a bodega at the end of this year with produce grown at that site. This is a really good place to discuss the school-to-prison pipeline and the criminalization of adolescent behavior. So, absolutely. I went into it a little bit about the school-to-prison pipeline, but I know hearing the criminalization of adolescent behavior, that's always been one of the things you like to talk about. So, tell me about that, especially from a reformist perspective. Okay, so, again, I like prisons, okay, a little bit. Yes. I don't love them. I like them a little bit. Fair. Some people got to go somewhere, okay? I don't want that murderer next door to me, nor do I want the... We need to define what a real pedophile is versus, like, the whole, like... Yes. I, I, so, I slept with my girlfriend, <laughs> and I didn't know she was that age person. Yes. But, like, a, someone who is touching small children yes. and doing things that they shouldn't or, be doing. I don't want that okay. next to me. <laughs> this is actually kind of a point where you and I have diverged in the past. I know that there are cases where a teenage girl is prosecuted for sending naked pictures of herself and things yeah. like that. No, no teenager should be charged for producing child pornography when she's a 16-year-old girl sending topless pics to her 16-year-old boyfriend. It's like, really, it's kind of ironic. I'm but, charged for child pornography, I'm a child. Exactly. And that's like a felony. Yeah. That never They're goes charged away. as an adult for producing child pornography. Obviously not cool. But there are so few cases where it's genuine. Well, I'm only 21, I thought she was 16... No. First of all, what are you, a 21-year-old, doing with a 16-year-old? She was good-looking. Five years <laughs> younger, you really have shit to talk about with her? You can't even take her to a bar, for Christ's sake. Like, I'm 24 now, and I don't think I could date a 20-year-old. Strictly because I couldn't even take him to the bar if I wanted a beer. What if I wanted to take her to, like, um, one of those movie theaters where you get served beer and dinner with your movie? You can do that. No, I mean, like, a bar one. Oh. Like, viewing parties and stuff. Oh. You can't even do that. Like, what are, what are me and her going to do? <laughs> Buy them a oh my God. fake ID. No, but, but you, yeah, you like I get, me? Yeah, I get that probably doesn't happen a lot, but there's still, like, small yes. percentages. That, that's why I wanted to differentiate between and the two different And the vast majority of sex versions. offender registries will tell you what the crime was. Yeah. It still doesn't make their lives yes. any easier, though. But, but go ahead. <laughs> going back to... We always yeah, get off we track. don't want a child molester yeah. next door. I don't want I I don't want certain um I guess what regular society would call the undesirable. Yes. Though they do need right. to be reformed. We do need to have treatment for some yes. of these issues. Um, I wouldn't want that next door. I would I would like them to be in prison for some time, yes. getting equitable treatment. Yeah. I don't want horrible like I don't want them to say oh they're getting treatment in these prisons, but it's like no they're just shining shoes. Like that's not treatment. Exactly. I want and I don't treatment. want. Women being forced to have sex with guards for uh, period supplies. I don't want gay men to be beaten. I don't want anyone to be raped in prison. Yeah. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, I could talk for three hours about how prison rape is not a joke. But I get where you're coming from with yeah. that. But go ahead. So with yeah. the criminalization of adolescent behavior. Yeah. So I don't want that next to me or, uh, or anything like that. I don't want that near my home. But um, 
I don't even know where am I going with this. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and take a step back and talk to us about criminalization of adolescent behavior. Yeah. So with the criminalization of adolescent behavior. Just First of all, yourself, define it for me. Yeah. Um, Use an example. So as teenagers, like as you're listening to this, close your eyes and think back to when you were 13 years old okay. or something like that. So at 13 years old, not all of us, but some of us were more aggressive than others. Okay. We like to... Um, Play aggressively. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do things that... Give me, like... So, for example, I when I was... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When I was, like, 10, I accidentally knocked out my sister. We were fighting, mm-hmm. but I pushed her, and she hit her head. Yeah, or um, I just thought of one. Like, fighting. Yes. Doing, like... and those Fighting just, in general. Yeah, fighting as in general. As a teenager, yeah. as a kid. Those are... Those are things that are supposed to happen in our adolescence that yes. help us grow. They teach us boundaries. Yes. They teach us what's unacceptable. Yes. They teach us what is self-defense. What does that actually look like? Does that mean hitting the five-year-old who's attacking 13-year-old me? Or does that mean holding them still so they can't hit me anymore? Yeah. That type of so, thing. Fighting just in general is something that is normal. It's always yes. been normal for teenagers, or at least what we in our society today are have made the teenager, like, realm of, like, yes, people, um, because we don't, our frontal lobe does not stop growing until, until we're 25 years yes. old, so we do all these things, we're pushing boundaries, that's how we grow, exactly, but in the last, I'm just gonna say 40 years, yeah, the last 40 years, we've started to, 40 grow, years ago yeah. would be, uh, like, 40 years ago would be 1978, for yeah. reference, so 20 to 40 years, maybe more, closer to the 20, year mark. Yeah. We started criminalizing behavior such as fighting in schools, yes. being aggressive. Um, so that started adding more people into our prison system. Exactly. We added more resource officers. Yes. Um, something who are kind of terrifying. Not to me. I didn't talk to them. They didn't talk to me. Well, they <laughs> trying to decide if I'm actually going to tell this on the podcast because they once chased my sisters with a car because she was skipping school. That's where did you grow up? Girl, the South Side. I went to Perry Meridian. That's your problem. No, you, you have no idea. The That's side. the whitest school. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's your problem. I don't know what it was. They straight up chased my sister. Skipping okay. school, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, why would you school? arrest a kid yeah. for skipping school? Skipping school, being truant, we have criminalized this behavior. Yes. Adding, letting, um, moving children who consistently fight or consistently yeah. don't go to school. We have made it to a point where they will be incarcerated in juvenile yes. detention centers, which we know aren't good places to be had. Just like prisons have exactly. rape and sexual assault and all these things, juvenile detention centers have yes. the same things, which and isn't helping. it's terrifying to imagine young people going into these systems that are ostensibly to help them in some way, and they come out as victims of sexual violence. They and they become out... worse. If anything, exactly. you go... Just think about it this way. You send someone into a juvenile detention center because they were truant. They yes. come out with... Um, emotional scarring, and yeah. guess what? Now they're doing drugs. Exactly. Now they're, they I mean, picked I don't up want... some tips back yeah. in the juvie about how to lockpick, so they're going around breaking and entering. Like, and I'm not trying to say that like everyone who goes into these programs, they always come out bad, or like they're gonna jump from truancy to murder. Exactly. Or but but sit that is the... and think about it yeah. to all of our listeners. Sit and think for a minute about the kids you know who went to juvie. Where are they today? Anyway. Anyway. I think that. As we're on this topic, we should probably also be really explicit. Mass incarceration 
is a form of racism. And it, it is. is a descendant, a current form of racism, like... It, it, steam, it stems directly from... Racist policies. Yeah, Reconstruction, yes. Jim Crow, slavery, the 13th Black Amendment. Codes. And yeah. not to attack anyone who's like, oh, well, Abraham Lincoln created the 13th Amendment and it ended slavery. That's no. a great notion to think, and that's fine, but Abraham Lincoln is not infallible. Exactly. We know that he was a racist. We know yes. that he wanted to send black people to Liberia and or whatever. the Emancipation Proclamation didn't do shit. It like, wasn't about slavery, y'all. it was about the reunification of the Union. And, and it didn't free anybody. He issued a proclamation to states that were currently fighting a war to leave his country. How are they going to, how's that going to abolish slavery? Yeah. So, like. In those states. Yeah. Like, so yeah. people who are like, well, it's, it's like, what do you mean? It's Abraham Lincoln. He's. You know, the, the Republican Party of that time, the Lincoln Party, they saved black the people. The love-having Republicans. Slave. Yeah. No, like, we can be critical of that time. Yes. Yes. What he did moved us into a certain direction to do, to be the way we are, but what, the what, mm, to where we are, but where we are isn't that good and it could exactly. be far better, especially yes. with the racist, um, the systematic racist agendas that we've had in this country from yes um reconstruction era of scaring black people into not getting the land that they deserved exactly um, to not being able for black men not to be able to vote even though they could vote yeah. they legally were able to vote to jim crow and to voter home. id laws today yeah, voter id laws the civil rights movement i mean Everything that is wrong with today's society stems from that. Yes. The mass incarceration, I don't want to say movement, but the it kind problem, of is. Yes, problem, problem stems from these issues. It stems from these problems. Yes. No one saw it as an issue before because we were all focusing on other areas of our civil rights Which issues. Which is fair. But I understand no, that some people have specific priorities. But we overlooked this as a problem. Exactly. We have... Especially... You know, I think a lot of times it was intentionally overlooked for respectability. Yeah, no one wants to who say wants, criminals shouldn't go to prison. Or who wants to associate with criminals. Or the fact that until recently, like the last five to ten years, yeah. if you were to say that I would like to make it easier for drug addicts to not right. go to prison, they'd be like, you're soft on crime and you are you hate America. Let me tell you a story <laughs> about seventh grade. We were talking in class, and my uh, social studies teacher, Mm -hmm. I wish I could remember his name so I could shout him out right now. (laughs) Again, Perry Meridian. (laughs) He, my social studies teacher was talking about uh, heroin overdoses. Mm -hmm. Especially in the state of Indiana, that's a thing. Indiana is miserable. (laughs) My, I lived in New Albany for three years before moving to Indianapolis. That's where I, like... I was born in Louisville, brought back home across the bridge to New Albany, lived there till three. And you're like, maybe I, we should have stayed in Louisville. We were never technically in Louisville, just for the hustle, because New Albany didn't have one. Oh. Okay. That's the thing, though. New Albany, Sellersburg, those areas, they're at the highest risk because they don't have good healthcare infrastructure there. Are those places that uh, could that potentially had um, issues with the last... Um, opiate crisis we had in the state. Exactly. The the rise of HIV. Yes, Sellersburg was like the hotbed of HIV. So, all of that said, we're in a state known for heroin problems. My sister has lost so many classmates since she graduated in 2010 due to heroin overdoses. So my 7th grade teacher is talking about and says, yeah, and some people like this idea called needle exchange programs, pretty clearly derisive, and I was like, is that what it sounds like? Is that when people can get clean needles? Right. He said, yeah. And I was like, 
Well, that's a great idea. Was, how How is that a bad thing to do? I don't know. Let's talk to Mike Pence. Well, that's literally what I was... To my social studies teacher, I'm a 7th grader. I am 13 years old. And I say, that's a great idea. How could that hurt anything? They need that. If they're going to do drugs, they should do it cleanly so that we don't have these epidemics. And he goes, you must be a heroin addict to care that much. Okay. Yeah. That's what happens when you advocate for people getting safe treatment. That is ridiculous. Yeah. So even though I've been talking a lot about the white population, like New Albany and Sellersburg, we started talking about racism a minute ago. And... I want to be explicit. The statistics show that the most incarcerated population is men of color. Mm -hmm. But the rates of crime are static across races. So men of color don't commit more crime than white men. Women of color don't commit more crime than white women. But they're targeted more for incarceration. Racial privilege protects us white people in that way. Yeah, many other privileges too. Like, many other privileges as well. Like class privilege when we're looking at college students who, despite we know college students are doing the most drugs, are rarely targeted by the police. Right, and have you ever seen more of a hotbed of rape culture than a college institution? Like... You're right. Except for maybe a prison. But... You're right again. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, absolutely. As a white woman, police who pull me over implicitly trust me, even though I've never earned that trust. And if you're listening to Do this and you see any... me driving, don't pull me over, please. Don't, I was going to say, don't say anything that could incriminate you on this podcast, right? Elizabeth. No, if I were to do something dumb, like speed, or what if I were speeding and I had drug paraphernalia in my car? That white cop is going to stop me, say, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. Be on your way and let me go. Because the, I've anyone, never earned their trust. For anyone and who if they... is doing illegal things, <laughs> and just put it in your trunk before you start No, driving. stop that! Don't, don't let them no, into the No, don't give car. them advice! I'm just saying that, I'm just saying we should let people understand the criminal justice system. <laughs> if it's already in your trunk and they don't have reasonable suspicion, and you don't let them open up your trunk, then oh I don't do anything illegally. Oh my god. <laughs> Actually, there are a couple things, but like, everyone does this thing. Girl. But, don't... Stop e- incriminating yourself! Don't ever... Okay, these are things I learned in my intro to criminal justice class, okay? Oh, my okay? God. If anyone ever pulls you over and they say... Decline uh, the search. Yes, for the love the of search. God. But Here's if you also know tip. you might get pulled over, put all your shit in your trunk because um, you can't reach for that directly. So they so, can't claim it was imminent danger. Yes. So, also, unless they impound your car and get a warrant... Only speak to a lawyer, never speak to the police except to confirm your name and show them your ID... Okay, let's get back on topic. Maybe we'll have a whole episode. Ooh, that's what our workshop could be about. Oh, that would be fun. (laughs) So we are going to be giving a workshop at the Social Justice Symposium, but kind of unfortunately we're already locked in on how to podcast. Yeah. Anyway, we're coming up on time, so it's about time to get out of here. Yeah. Even though I don't think either of us changed our mind on the fundamentals, this dialogue was really one of the better conversations I've had lately. Because, Judith, you made really good points. And I do think it's important to acknowledge that my work is very ideological, while yours is informed by the praxis of criminal justice. That's correct. I think our dialogue (laughs) was really a great way to learn more about this topic, especially as a criminal justice major. I hope you continue, like, researching this stuff, because even if you never come to the side of prison abolition, this is the type of shit you got to face every day in your work. 
If it makes you happy, I'm for the abolition of private prisons. You know what? Good enough for now. We'll <laughs> continue later. <laughs> that okay. is all the time we've got today, though. So it's really important to me that people carry on with this because it is mm-hmm. one of my pet uh, projects. So instead of a usual, like, really robust, thorough reading list today, we actually went with a couple of book suggestions. Yep. So our recommended reading list is linked below like usual, and I hope everyone reads some or hopefully all of the books there, but if you can only read one, read Angela Davis. <laughs> and I know we all struggle for time, but it's so important to really dive deep into these. And totally read the article about um, a writer who went undercover into a private prison. Yes, he worked on, as a guard there. Yes, from motherjones.com. Oh, so it's good. such a good article. I read it my freshman year and didn't realize it was a five-part series, so I actually need to go back and read yes. the other four parts I missed. I'm excited to read that more thoroughly as well, because I only got to skim the first two parts. Yep. Yeah, and make sure that you go back and listen to some of our other episodes, and you do not need to listen to them in order, so if any one of them uh, jumps out at you, but you don't want to listen to the others, you can do that as well. Exactly. We have a lot of really cool episodes on everything from, like, sex education to Mm -hmm. cultural appropriation. And I have on good authority that our comprehensive sex education episode was the bomb diggity. Who said that? I did. No, my friend said it was good, but <laughs> I said it's the bomb diggity. <laughs> okay, so... So you, you can... can <laughs> you can reach... Oh, girl. Okay, so besides the fact that I just said bomb diggity, <laughs> not bring it on again in 2002, oh. well, you can also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And we do look forward to hearing from you, so we'll talk to you next time. Bye!